Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from shop.net. Special episode, what we'll keep after COVID. I'm really bad at remembering sayings and proverbs and cliches and all the rest of them, but I think there's one that goes along the lines of never letting a serious crisis go to waste. And what bigger crisis has there been, not only in the education system, but in the entire world, than COVID-19? And given that it's highly likely that the Department of Education and its lackeys will do everything they can to get us back to normal by underfunding the primary education system as soon as is physically possible after COVID-19, I decided that I'd ask teachers, SNAs and anyone else that wanted uh, to join in in what they'd like to see remain after COVID-19 in our primary school system and what they'd absolutely be delighted to see the back of. So in this special episode, I'm going to share their responses as well as give a few thoughts of my own. Hello, hello, you are welcome to this special episode of If I Were the Minister for Education. This is Simon Lewis and I am looking forward to looking back at the 2020-21 school year which was completely dominated by COVID-19. And before I begin, I think it has to be said that for primary schools at least, COVID-19 was basically like a tidal wave after tidal wave of stress. Um, it was not a good year to be a teacher uh, by any means or stretch of the imagination. And there were so many lowlights of the last year and a half. But I would say if people were to pick the worst point of being a teacher this year, I think nearly everybody would agree that that peak or whatever the opposite of peak is, came in, came in early January. If, if you remember around New Year's Day, when the Minister for Education, with the full support of the INTO leadership, and I cannot stress it enough, that this was with the full support of the INTO leadership, planned on sending all teachers back into schools when COVID-19 was completely out of control. At, in some areas of the country, out one in 17 people were catching COVID-19. Um, and, and, and it was, just, I mean, it was ridiculous. 8,000 people a day were catching this virus um, around early January after the government stupidly opened up the country. I mean, in hindsight, we'll say stupidly, but this was what happened. And it made everything much more dangerous, particularly at a time when there was no vaccine. We, we were very short memories sometimes because right now, while I'm recording this at the end of June, most half of the population are probably not that bothered about uh, catching COVID-19 because they're vaccinated or they're young and they're probably not going to die. But in January, there was a very real fear that if you caught COVID-19, it was like a lottery. Either you would get, you either you wouldn't notice it, you'd get a little bit ill, you'd uh, maybe get very sick, you may end up in hospital or you may die. And it was really just a lottery. You didn't really know which one you were going to get. And as someone who was one of those people who got COVID-19, it was extremely scary. I mean, it was scary when I kind of knew I had it. I just didn't know what was going to happen to me next. And it was, it was an awful time. And 
with all this in the atmosphere that we teachers are being sent back into this situation where it was almost definite that COVID-19 would run rampant in schools. It was a shocking display of, I don't know what the word is, I mean, negligence um, on, uh, the, on the education, a Minister for Education's part, but also on the um, people that were supposed to um, look out for the welfare of their uh, members. Um, and uh, I think, I mean, I, I don't want to go on about it too much because I have already, but because I want to get onto this episode a little bit, but they wanted to send uh, teachers in with no mitigation measures. I mean, I, it was amazing. I mean, primary schools at that time were the were uh, the fifth um, most, um, I, I suppose, the fifth, uh, how, and the league tables of, let's say, where you could catch COVID, uh, schools are in fifth place um, above hospitals, would you believe? Um, but anyway, um, thankfully, uh, teachers and SNAs and anyone else working in education all over the country stormed the virtual barricades and prevented the government and its union potentially having blood on their hands, which most certainly would have happened. I, I, can, I cannot think of a possible scenario where someone wouldn't have died if they had have gone into school in January. And if someone as a teacher hadn't have died or a student hadn't have died, a very close relative of one of those would have died. And not just one, very many of them. You don't put a load of people into a room when you've got thousands of cases of a deadly virus circulating in the community. However, there have been lots of other low points apart from that one very low point. Well, my particular one, I mean, everyone has their own. I mean, it could be anything really. But my particular low point was when the IPPN and INTO suggested to the Department of Education. Now, they claim they didn't suggest this. I, I just don't, I, it just doesn't add up uh, based on the documentation I have. Um, but basically, um, that um, there was, it was suggested to the Department of Education that principals would give their personal phone numbers to the HSE in case there was a case in their school, a COVID-19 case in their school, and that that number could be rung 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Now, just because you weren't going to be called all the time didn't mean that you weren't on call. Can you, I mean, I just, I, I know some people might not think, uh, might, might think, and a lot of principals did think this, sure, what's the big deal? I'd want to know if there was a case in my school. But to be on call 24-7 is, is absolutely not acceptable. And um, I think that was my turning point, really, for me. It was my tipping point, let's say, where I kind of felt the people that were supposed to be looking after me didn't care about me at all. Um, and, you know, I suppose it's, you know, that was, that's my opinion, I guess. Uh, some would, would disagree with it. Others have different, um, um, I suppose, attitudes to all this. And that's fair enough. That's, that's how work, uh, that's how things happen in, uh, in, in, in our country, that we all have different opinions about things. And uh, that suits uh, the agendas, I, I suppose, of the people in control of, uh, the, uh, of our destinies. Anyway, um, the constant, uh, I suppose, the other thing that really got to me um, as well, and I think this got to a lot of people really, was the constant spinning of statistics, the lies, the blatant lies about the safety of schools. Remember, schools are safe, schools are safe, schools are safe. It was like a little mantra, like a, like a, I, I, the, the, the mantra, and thankfully they, somebody, somebody eventually told uh, the various people to stop saying it because it was, number one, it was a meaningless sentence, uh, and number two, it wasn't true. I mean, what is the definition of safe was an episode of this uh, podcast that I produced where I questioned um, what do people mean when they mean schools are safe? 
and we should be asking a different question um, and uh, that uh, anyway I mean it's amazing how you, what you remember from the year as you go through it um, but the other thing I suppose that uh, was uh, I suppose blatant about this year uh, was the endless teacher bashing that went on from 2020 to 2021 there was a little 10 minute gap around April 2020 when teachers for the very first time in a long time had the respect of the Irish population but we very quickly um, lost it while our while um, the Minister for Education the Department of Education and its representative bodies fiddled around while we tried to open schools and by the time schools opened people were just ready to pounce on, on, on schools and pounce they did on teachers and uh, again I don't want to get too much into it as I want to get into this episode um, anyway we um, we just uh, I guess had to get through it uh, for teachers starting their jobs <laughs> this year please don't judge the job on this if you're thinking this is normal it is normal this was not a normal year um, the various interventions that were put in by schools through the various guidelines produced by the various agencies just made all the things that are good about teaching much less good this was not the time to really start teaching um in this country everything that's good about teaching was sort of taken away from us uh, due to this virus and um, for example gone was all the lovely active learning in favor of more traditional methodologies and there was certainly no mixing of groups as much as possible and so on and this year to be honest with you this was the very first year i haven't been teaching in a classroom for about just over a decade this is the first year i wasn't jealous not to be back in the classroom teaching now everybody agrees that COVID 19 also had, um, I suppose in a twisted way, uh, a positive impact. It shone the brightest light you could possibly shine on the education system. Basically, until COVID-19, it would be very fair to say that the media had very little interest in the education system. Rarely was there a primary education story in the national airwaves that had anything to do with education. However, this year, it was actually hard to get away from radio presenters, journalists and keyboard warriors all putting in their spoke about all matters educational as if they'd never heard of them before COVID-19. Now, most notable of all these things, because there was a lot of stuff going on, most notable of this was special education provision or additional education needs. And I've spoken in loads of detail about this a few episodes ago. But what I'm going to do is uh, go through the things that, um, that, I mean, I suppose I'm going to throw in my own spoke, obviously, it's my podcast. Um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to go, I asked uh, a few weeks ago, and I asked this week as well, as, as just for, uh, to get more answers. I asked teachers, SNAs, parents, and anyone else um, what they'd like to keep in schools. So COVID-19 changed the way we did things, sometimes for the better and sometimes for worse. So I asked everyone, what would you like to keep that COVID-19 caused in schools when all this is over? And then what would you like to see the back of? Now, I'm working off a script, it's hard to believe from the ranting I'm doing uh, at the moment, but for the rest of this episode, uh, more or less, um, I'm not going to work off a script. I just have the replies to my tweets really as my, as my prompts. And I'm going to go through each of those um, re responses one by one uh, I have tried to theme them together. I may, I may have succeeded uh, mostly, but uh, I might be repeating myself a little bit. Um, but um, I have a feeling, given that I've already spent the best part of 12 minutes 
uh, and I haven't even finished the introduction, I don't think I'm going to get all this recorded in one part. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, keep uh, go through all the uh, various responses and respond to them and uh, maybe around half an hour I'll stop and then I, if I have more um, responses to go through, I'll set up a part two of this episode and potentially, well, hopefully I won't get to a part three famous last words. I'm sure I could be here on part five or part six. But we'll try our best not to. But uh, loads of us to look. What I want to do really is reflect back on um, the last year a little bit in the, through the eyes of COVID-19. Uh, my own, maybe share some of my own experiences, uh, share some experiences I heard uh, around the country. Um, from other uh, school leaders, from other teachers, from parents, from SNAs, um, and maybe just as a, I suppose, nearly as a, as a time capsule, uh, if you will, of uh, 2020 uh, to 2021 school year. Now, um, I suppose, uh, I, I, I think it's worth noting um, that the government have made an announcement about what life is going to be like next term. Um, and, you know, one would have thought maybe it would be post-COVID-19, but based on the fact that we have this um, Delta variant around and based on the fact that the government have actually already made their announcement of what life is going to be like in schools from September. Now, um, to give this a positive spin, because, you know, it's um, very easy to be negative about the government in every way possible, but to be positive, had we have got something like that uh, in June last year, I would have been so happy. We didn't get our mitigation measures until the very last day of July after six o'clock in the evening. So effectively August uh, and a bank holiday weekend at that. Um, and to get to know what we're actually getting to do in September is very good. In fact, it's great they've actually come out in June to let schools know how things are going to look in September. Um, but the tr- trouble is, they basically said there's no changes and effectively have to do exactly the same mitigation measures as we were doing last August. Now, unlike the government who've been having a lovely time working from home throughout all of this, the, the, the civil servants, and unlike the politicians who've uh, moved into this giant uh, convention centre and haven't had to go back to their classroom, um, and unlike all the representative bodies who are also Uh, working from the comfort of their own homes. We've actually lived through these last number of months and we've directly seen the effect of the mitigation measures. Um, And, you know, we've actually seen which ones help with the risk mitigation and which ones really had no effect. Um, And June 2021, I suppose, is a very different place than August 2020, when the Department of Education still believed the virus was mainly picked up through droplets landing on bits and pieces, like your books and on door handles and whatnot. And we now know that the virus is airborne. So there are certain measures that simply no longer make any sense. I mean, the main one of these, of course, is the idea of these pods in classrooms. And we've already seen evidence that pods make no difference whatsoever if there is a COVID case in a classroom. So it absolutely makes no sense to keep the concept of pods in a classroom. I mean, it makes, I mean, it never made any sense to call them pods. They're groups. They're not pods. They're groups. Um, anyway, why, why am I shouting? <laughs> we, uh, um, I, I think you would have, we would have gotten over this. I, I just really hope the word pod disappears. That's my personal thing. But anyway, 
Speaking of nonsensical words like pods, we also need to stop using the word bubble and just call them classrooms. And basically, if there is a case in a classroom, that's what we need to focus on. They're, they're, everyone in that room is a close contact or could be a close contact because the virus is airborne. However, it's probably a good idea to limit the amount of bubbles, I mean, sorry, I mean classrooms, from interacting because in case there are cases in a bubble, I mean, classroom. Okay, anyway, let's get on with the tweets. Okay, so let's get going. Um, I've tried to team up some, uh, you know, theme the tweets that were coming in. Uh, you know, some of them are actually interesting in that um, some are seen as a positive and some are seen as a negative and, and uh, like, we'll go through them and I'll give you my own thoughts, I suppose, on them. Um, I mean, the first one really that uh, had jumped out um, and was one of the initial early um, advantages of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic was the fact that certainly up until January, there were no inspections. And the idea of no inspections isn't really a new thing. You know, this is, I, I, I mean, there's certain countries, I mean, Finland being the, I suppose, the most uh, famous example where there is no such thing as an inspectorate, really, um, and there's no need for an inspectorate. And I suppose what we had, in a, in a way, in Ireland, with, uh, certainly up until, maybe even up until April, was there were no inspections in schools. Um, inspectors weren't needed. They were redeployed to the HSE to do contact tracing. I think some of them, uh, some of them, I, I, I don't know what they were doing, um, but um, they weren't in schools. And nothing bad happened. And in some ways, I suppose when they returned, really, uh, the way they are at the moment, they've, I mean, they've, they, they haven't really had, they don't really have the kind of meat that maybe they used to have. I remember, I actually remember in primary school, um, you know, nearly 40 years ago, inspectors coming into the classroom and the teacher, you know, uh, there's a word uh, in Yiddish, chalashing, um, chalashing, it's more than just sweating, it's like that, oh my gosh, I'm so scared. Uh, I don't know if there's a, like, chalashing is the best word I can think of for, like, really stressed about this inspector who was really inspecting the teacher, um, despite the teacher telling us now he's coming in to see how good you are. And, you know, even, you know, when I started teaching, you know, the, the idea of the inspector coming in was uh, seen as like a, a thing. Like, And I've spoken in the last episode about WSEs and how they used to be like this massive thing. But in some ways, and I don't think this is because of COVID particularly, because of all the other nonsense that's been put on top of us um, in terms of um, initiatives and things like that. You know, an inspector visiting now is just seen as another inconvenience and it doesn't really have a bite to it anymore. I mean, even going through your induction year, your inspector was the person who would pass or fail you in terms of getting through, um, you know, becoming a, a fully um, probated teacher. That's gone. Um, incidental inspections you know, there isn't much that happens in there. Even WSCs, there's a kind of a generic report written. And to be honest with you, there, there's really, really nearly no point in inspections anymore. And I think um, I'd agree with that. Like having no inspections, it would be something we should keep maybe um, after COVID-19. I know that's already, you know, gone because there are inspectors going around, you know, ticking boxes really a lot of the time. And um, I suppose... Um, you know, I, I think we really have to reimagine what the inspector looks like properly. At the moment, it's it's still an oversight thing. They're, they're, as much as they want to say they're being there in a supportive role, it's, it, 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 it just isn't. That's not the model of, an, in, you know, I mean, even the name inspector. I mean, it's not a supportive role. You don't, um, you know, 
have a, a, a an inspector coming to a crime scene to support the you know the the, the, <laughs> the I don't know the, to support the police there in in terms of things they're there to investigate and find out what's wrong and so on. Um, sorry, that was a terrible analogy. So um, I'd actually agree uh, with that one. I think um, the lack of inspections really showed how little value inspectors were, and they do cost quite a lot of money because they're expensive. And really, they don't do um, until they actually reimagine what they do. I think the inspectorate needs really to be scrapped. I'm not sure if I've done an episode on in, in scrapping the inspectorate, but if I haven't done one already, I think it might be time for one to happen. So really, that's uh, a nice, easy one to, to start me off. Um, you know, thanks uh, very much for that uh, suggestion. Um, here's a longer one. This came in a few different types of tweets. So I just I'll read the read out the kind of general theme of them. No random meetings or door stopping parents, um, keeping parents away from the building, um, and uh, that, like that was the theme of it. Now there was two sides to those tweets. Um, you know, some people saw this as a good thing uh, that parents couldn't just doorstop you in the morning and you know upset you for the day, and uh, some uh, people said, well, look. Sometimes a kid could come in and it would have been lovely if the parent was able to come up to you in the yard just before you start saying, listen, he's a bit off the weather or, uh, you know, he's a bit under the weather today or whatever it might be. And those quick, you know, that quick minute outside the classroom that might be handy to, to know. So there was definitely two sides to that. Um, I suppose having gone through it all, uh, I suppose I stand out every morning uh, outside my school as cars pass. And I haven't really spoken to many parents this year and it's, I have to say it is something I miss. Um, I, I mean, I don't I don't agree with uh, parents coming in for who want a full meeting first thing in the morning. That doesn't work um, at all. And I mean, I, I think that's, that's certainly a positive where you didn't have someone coming in uh, wanting a I want a meeting right now with you kind of thing and sitting in your office for two hours when, when well, now, look, that didn't happen very often uh, or anything like that, but it can happen. I mean, I, I remember actually, um, it wasn't in my school, it was in a, a, another school uh, that, uh, gosh, early in my career, there used to be um, a queue outside the principal's office uh, and it wasn't a school I taught in. I, I, it was a school that a, a friend of mine taught in and um, she used to say that there would be a queue outside the door every morning um, for this particular uh, principal and I mean that's just not a, not a way to sort of run an organisation I mean really you need those kind of meetings need appointments uh, not this sort of waiting room style thing however you do miss the whole um, the niceness of having parents around the place you know maybe just uh, having a quick chat in the morning even if say hello and a bit of a smile how are you keeping um, all that sort of stuff. So when it comes to COVID-19 ending, I, I actually don't think on balance that uh, not having parents um, around is, I, I don't think that's a good thing, Having par- uh, not having parents around. Um, I absolutely agree not having meetings uh, for like doorstopping um, is, is, has to go, uh, is a good thing. But I mean, the 99% of parents who are, you know, really supportive and know the boundary really, because there is a boundary um, there, it was it is a positive uh, it was a positive thing and i i do um i do miss it and i i, I do i really can't wait um to have it back again and um, the next thing uh on the list um on our list here is uh, to keep hand sanitizers and masks so some again this was a um you know uh, some people said we should keep them and some people said we shouldn't and you know i suppose it depends on what side of the fence from this you sit in i i presume if you're um you know, I think the sanitizing, the hand, hand sanitizing was very, very useful in some ways. Um, it, it takes time, I suppose, was a disadvantage. But I mean, count how many head colds you've had in the last year and a half. 
you know, there hasn't been that many sicknesses uh, really um, as a result of hand hygiene. And we, we always went on about it. You know, um, before COVID-19, you'd have kids coming in with their, you know, dripping of snot and, you know, spraying it all over the table. And um, yeah, it wasn't too long before the room was full of head colds. And uh, I suppose the idea of masks. Now, I know the children in our classes never wore masks, but I think, you know, there's advantages, of course, in terms of hygiene. It'll prevent certain illnesses and things like that. But I mean, I, I suppose with the masks and um, I, I just find it very difficult uh, to wear a mask for any long period of time. I, I find it very uncomfortable, um, you know, now that shops have opened and things like that. Uh, it's no joy wearing a mask in a shopping centre, for example, um, and certainly not for four hours a day in a, in a classroom. So, I mean, I don't know if I would be very happy to have to wear a mask for the rest of my career kind of thing. It's um, it's something I'll be glad to see the back of. Hand hygiene and hand sanitizers and all that kind of stuff. I, I see the advantages of those, apart from the fact my skin was ripped off me, although it's kind of immune to it at the minute. Um, but uh, very interesting that people would want to keep hand sanitizers and masks and others would throw them away straight away. And, and kind of link to that, the next thing, and this is something I think I agree with, is uh, not sending kids in sick. Now, this is really, this is something that society is going to have to solve for us because when you don't send in your child uh, when they're sick, now, I don't mean sick, sick, like if someone's, if a child is sick, 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 very sick, um, then, yeah, obviously they're not going to come in. But you know those, like, light sicknesses, you know the thing which, you know, if you're out for the day, you'll probably get, you'll probably be all right. But if you go in for the day, it's going to get worse and then you're going to infect the rest of the class and all that kind of stuff. The reason why, I suppose, parents send children in when they're mildly sick is because they have to go to work. And because a lot of people are working from home this year, not sending in children when they were a little bit sick wasn't as inconvenient, let's say, as it would have been in a post-COVID world. So if we're going to live in a post-COVID world and we are keeping the same standards of not sending children in sick, we're going to have to change the way we work in a way and, and, and the flexibility around that. Um, I mean... I liked not having a cold for, uh, for the first time in, you know, this year. I, I usually get a couple of colds a year. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I can see how inconvenient it would be. Particularly, I mean, I, I have a child myself and if he's sick and I can't go in, it's, it, it, it is quite difficult and inconvenient. So um, I think, um, you know, it is something that we have to look at as a, in, a bigger, in a bigger sort of systematic way and see if uh, there are things that can be done to support that. Um, and the next thing on the list, and uh, it's a fairly uh, long list, I've only gone through the first four, and some of them are, you know, so far they're fairly straightforward, there's nothing uh, there's nothing really to write home about, nothing controversial. Uh, I feel I need to get a controversial one here somewhere. Right, here's one I think. Um, where is it? Let's see. No Christmas concerts. Ooh, I think that's kind of controversial, a bit controversial. Um, not to me, but I imagine it's a controversial one. Um, well, I I guess um, some people love the uh, winter concerts. And uh, some people, I would say, if you said there was never going to be a winter concert again or a Christmas concert uh, again, um, you'd be celebrating. And I suppose we haven't been able to have proper winter concerts for the last couple of years. And it's been kind of I don't know. I'm kind of thinking in my own in my own case, uh, you know, taking away the whole fundraising side of stuff and uh, and all that. Um, just the kind of atmosphere of a of an evening in the school. You know, it's nice and you know it's dark outside. You've got bright lights inside. The place is kind of alive. There's a buzz. You know, there's usually um, 
you know, the, the, there's usually, you know, a bit of food brought in and, um, you know, it's a bit of an, a party atmosphere in a way and all the staff are around and, you know, kind of in between performances, you know, it's a culmination of like, you know, in some cases, in some schools, it's a, a couple of months of practice. Um, I, I don't know. Um, and it can be, there can be quite a positive feel about the, the whole thing. Um, and that's kind of my experience of it. You know, all, all the schools I've ever worked in, you know, that the, the sort of the winter concert or the Christmas concert has been um, has been really good. When I worked in a Catholic school, I actually, um, as I, I think I've mentioned in this podcast before, um, despite uh, my upbringing I, and, and all the lying I had to do to get a job, um, I ended up being such a good liar that I ended up with the communion class in one of my uh, schools uh, that I taught in. And as a reward uh, for being in the communion class, the communion class traditionally did the nativity play and nothing to do with me um this uh, at all uh but for some reason i think there was a bit of a trend at the time um like traditionally i think the the the, the second class they did their nativity play it was a straight nativity play you know the whole jesus mary joseph story you know not deviating from the plot but there was a bit of a trend um you know at the turn of the millennium to maybe you know change things up or whatever and make you know this uh nativity story a bit cool and uh, we um, were given some sort of script. I, I had nothing to do with this, by the way. I just joined in. I, I tried to, I suppose, hide in the background and pretend I knew what I was doing. And um, I think, I can't remember the play particularly. I think it was something to do with a present for the baby. And it wasn't quite mentioned that the baby was Jesus. But I mean, the story was really, you know, it was kind of like a, a, a parable of of the the Christmas story that there was a gift for the baby and various people were giving gifts to this baby um, and I remember we performed it all right and uh, the principal of the school was quite holy she was uh, quite the holiest woman I think I've ever met and I've uh, and I've worked with nuns who were less holy than her and uh, she, I remember her the only thing I remember about it was her reaction when uh, when we came off the stage she said oh that was lovely different and that was it really um i i but anyway i i i guess um you know i remember like the crowds are there it was i thought it was quite lovely but i know there's a lot of people that don't like the uh the winter concerts and i mean in a similar you know vein um i remember um the arguments and uh of of who would book the hall for practice um, and, uh, you know, it could have got to fisticuffs at some point. I'm not going to name any names, but uh, I have um, heard uh, that thing that if somebody went over their time in the hall for practice, well, it didn't go down too well. And there were, uh, well, let's say no more about that. So I don't know. Post-COVID, for me, I, th- I like them. I do like them. I don't like the thought of them maybe you know that I oh no I have to go out again in the evening and do more work and all that kind of stuff but you know there's a lovely atmosphere and it's really nice I I, you know it's really nice at the end saying you know hello and uh, and wishing people well for the season as they leave there's a lovely atmosphere so I'm going to keep it and some of you may disagree with that one let's get back to normal uh, let's see what we're doing for time as well we're up to the half an hour I'll do one more before we uh, take a break uh, for a part two so the last one I have here for this part of the episode is no external visitors meant less interruptions throughout the day so more teaching got done yeah yeah that's that's true so I mean we weren't allowed have external visitors uh, so do you know the way um, and again I'm just trying to think back 
to busy schools where you might have, you know, someone will come in to do GAA training or someone might come in to do African drumming or someone might come in to do speech and drama. You know, these kind of things that come in and they're grand and everything else. Um, but they did take away from your kind of teaching as a, as a teacher. Um, and in fairness, you know, uh, you know, with the classrooms the way they were, um, maybe more teaching got done because of that too. But there were less interruptions, definitely less interruptions in the classrooms. Uh, you know, and even in my side of the desk uh, as a principal, administrative principal, I must say I had uh, less interruptions throughout the day as well. There were, there were some days where, I mean, if I hadn't have gone looking for people, I might not have been seen that day. Um, do you know? And I mean, that didn't happen all the time, but it certainly was quieter. And certainly I wasn't going into people's classrooms unless I really, really had to. And even if I really had to, I generally hover around the door and sort of, in fact, I didn't. I generally would send a WhatsApp message if I had to get through to somebody um, unless it was an absolute emergency. So I think, um, you know, I, I don't I don't think we should go to a point of having no external visitors, but certainly limiting them um, because it does take away from our teaching time. And um, yeah, I think it's something that we might 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 look at. But then, you know, oh, I'm maybe maybe just a fact. It's really nice to have external people for the children. I mean, I suppose if it's useful, um, but it's certainly worth thinking about and um, an interesting point, I suppose, um, of that. I don't know what they mean by external visitors. I'm talking about visitors who are teaching classes, but I assume it could also mean me, um, like as a principal or a principal coming in, although we're not external visitors as such, or maybe a, a, a local priest if you're in a Catholic school, often they pop in from time to time. Um, I'm trying to think of other external visitors uh, that might interrupt what was going on during the day. But um, yeah, I think um, I think unplanned visits uh, may be something that might go out the window um, after, you know, even after po- uh, COVID times and it might be worth it. So I think I might stop there for the moment, take a pause at about 30 odd minutes and um, we'll end part one here. Um, if when I, I'll upload the next uh, part two once I've recorded it. Um, probably in a, I don't know, maybe a couple of days. Uh, I'll see how I get on. It's getting quite close to six o'clock, 5.59 as I'm recording this. Um, so it's probably a good idea that I stop. Um, so look, I will, I have about, I have a good few more of these guys to do. So I'd say we are going to part, we're probably going to go into three, maybe four parts in this, uh, but we'll see how we go. Listen, I hope you enjoyed uh, this so far. Um, I'll be back to you in a couple of days with part two of our What We'll Keep From COVID special episode. And um, I'll see you then. All the best. Bye bye.